That's The Simpsons at its very best in an episode where Homer joins a secret organisation called the Stonecutters and they sing a song claiming to be behind various global conspiracies. The episode was broadcast in 1995, but that first line still feels relevant today. Who holds back the electric car? Tesla may be worth more than $600 billion and its vehicles are an increasingly common presence on our roads. But for many, the electric car revolution still feels like it is yet to begin. Cars are expensive and even finding a place to charge them can be difficult. I'm Graeme Ruddick and this is Business Studies, a podcast that takes a second look at business stories from the past and asks, what can we learn from them today? In this episode, we speak to someone who has been leading the efforts to get more electric vehicles on the road. Eric Fairburn, the founder and chief executive of Podpoint, one of the biggest providers of charging points across the UK. For me, there's very little likelihood that we don't head into 2030 with broadly all new vehicle sales being electric. Why, why can I say that with confidence? Well, three things, really. The first one, if you look at all of the car companies, and I'm generalizing, you struggle to find any car company which is investing in anything other than electric powertrains. So what that means is as the current sort of generation of vehicles rolls out of um, production, there ain't anything coming in the next generation other than electrified vehicles. They're just not investing in, in internal combustion engine next generation vehicles. So, so that's one. Um, the second one is that you've got uh, what looks like plenty of demand. And we'll come back to the detail of that. But, you know, we've gone from when we started the business, no one wants electric vehicles to last year, 20% of new car sales were electric. 20% adoption, no one's forcing those people to buy electrics. That's the consumer saying, I want electric. So that seems to be growing quite nicely. Um, so, so, and on top of that, you've got the government coming in and saying, you know, we'll ban pure internal combustion engine from 2030, everything with an internal combustion engine, including hybrid from 2035. So all of those things come together and give me plenty of confidence that, yes, we've got some work to do to get there, but we will get to broadly, all new vehicles will be electric by, by 2030. And what we are going to have and have had in the last 12 months is obviously the realisation that growth of these sort of things is never a beautifully smooth straight line. We've had a bit of a sort of knee in the growth, you know, and the main thing, I think the main predominant factor is not actually demand. The main predominant factor is that we've got, you know, supply chain challenges. And the whole of last year to me was defined by the fact that it was more difficult to actually buy an electric vehicle. So, you know, we've gone from Typical lead time from ordering the electric car to having it delivered was maybe three months up to it's not uncommon at the moment to have 12 or 18 months between ordering your car and getting it delivered. That tells me there's no shortage of demand. That's just the supply of the vehicles. But also, I think that, um, you know, the car companies are beginning to get that under control. We're starting to see um, the vehicles come back in bigger numbers. I think in December, you know, including hybrids, 40% of all new vehicles were, uh, were electrified in some way. Um, so I don't think the supply chain crisis is behind the industry, but I certainly think we're probably past the worst of it. Um, and what that, frankly, 
frankly means is we've got an even bigger growth opportunity heading into 2030. So, you know, 2022, a bit slower than we all thought, but still going to get to the all electric by 2030. So the back end of the decade is going to be even more exciting than we originally thought. Can I just ask you about 2030? You, you said they're broadly all electric. The government's ambition, obviously, not ambition, policy is that they'll be all electric. So do you have some doubts that it will be all electric? So, so what the government said is that it's going to ban the sale of pure internal combustion engine cars in 2030. So that gives a little bit of space for both battery electric vehicles, clearly, but also allowed some hybrid vehicles to be sold. They've gone on to say hybrid vehicles will there be banned by 2035. So my, my view is, um, you know, we should be on target to get to you know, all vehicles. Uh, we can ban internal combustion engines, new car sales in 2030. And I think we will be, you know, 80% of that will be pure electric and perhaps 20% of that will, will be plug-in hybrids, something like that. So heavily in favour of the battery electric, um, and then another five years to truly get rid of any involvement in um, you know, internal combustion engines in personal transport. Looking at the charging infrastructure, how much improvement do you as a company and the industry as a whole have to do in terms of reliability, your geographical spread, because it still is quite focused in the southeast, and the cost? Because a lot of people at the moment are saying that charging their electric car is more expensive than filling it up with petrol, which clearly is a competitive issue when you're just trying to decide what sort of car to buy. So how much improvement do you think you need to make? Yes, yeah, so there's plenty of bits in that uh, question, Graham. So um, I guess it would be the first one, you know, where are we in the rollout of infrastructure? Answer that question first. And the answer is that we have infrastructure in the UK, which is broadly compatible with the one and a half percent of cars on our road that are electric. What we don't have is the infrastructure ready for 10% of cars on our road to be electric. And you'd sort of expect that. We've got to build the infrastructure roughly in parallel with the rollout of electric vehicles. And um, so we have got a lot of work to do. And not just out to 2030. 2030 is when all new cars are electric. Um, but actually, you don't get rid of internal combustion engines on the roads until probably 15 or 20 years after that. So we're probably well into the 2040s before you stop seeing an internal combustion engine on road. So we've actually got to build infrastructure for the next 20 or 30 years. Um, and we're really, you know, only just getting into our stride there. So it's fair to say, you know, is there enough infrastructure for everyone to drive an electric vehicle today? No, of course there isn't. Is there proportionate infrastructure for about one and a half percent of people on the roads to have electric cars? Yes, there is. And, and you know, Pop Point alone has got 175,000 charging locations across the UK. Of course, we're building more as fast as we can. But I do think, and we're not alone in building out the infrastructure, you know, we're accelerating it as an industry and it's proportionate to the rate at which cars are coming. So, you know, I'm not saying we won't come across sort of uh, unique situations where there is challenge with the charging infrastructure. But in principle, it feels like companies are getting to scale. We're moving quick enough. We've got the capital available to us. Um, you know, brands like Podpoint are getting big enough that we can really make some rapid progress on this. But yeah, don't, you know, we're also not... Uh, not unaware that we have got a big challenge over the next uh, 20 years to put an enormous amount of charging infrastructure in. What about reliability? So I think I think mainly reliability is a historic point. And I think, you know, what, what a lot of people, when they talk about charge point reliability, are, are really observing that um, uh, in, in not too distant history, you could quite frequently come across a charging point at a motorway services, for example, that, that wasn't correctly looked after. Um, but I think nearly all of that is becoming historic now. And what you're seeing is that the charging infrastructure providers now are at the scale to have, you know, Polpoint has national support uh, in terms of people in uh, able to get out to our charging points to fix them if something goes wrong. The whole industry is getting 
much more reliable. And the other thing, of course, you get is that you rarely have locations now where there's one charging point, right? You know, if it's a critical location, you're getting 10, 20, 30 charging points in at those locations. If one of them goes down, there's 29 still there. So I really think, generally speaking, you know, yes, the industry's had a few sort of scaling pains early on, but really it's mainly a historic problem. Um, and, you know, we're really getting, uh, as an industry, to the point where that really shouldn't be an issue for the vast majority of people, you know, understanding you've got to support them, you've got to look after them. And I think generally doing a good job now, but that hasn't always been the case, to be fair. And in terms of cost and price, is, is there an issue for you there as an industry? I mean, if we take your, your charging point at Tesco, they were previously free and now you charge for them. Is that a difficult story to explain to, to customers? So to two things there. The general transition from free to charging a fair amount is not normally too difficult. You know, if you talk to the consumers, they say, well, obviously, you know, we're going to give us free energy forever. So, you know, thanks thanks for the free bit we got initially and uh, uh, understand now we need to pay a sensible go rate. So, so that one, I'm not... I don't think anyone's really sensitive to. It's an easy headline, but it's not really having an impact. The bigger one, of course, is the fact that the cost of energy has gone up significantly with the energy crisis. And broadly, your underlying cost of electricity has, has doubled uh, since the energy crisis started. Uh, and of course, that has a corresponding effect on, on the cost of driving electric vehicles. So on a per mile basis, if you just charge on a normal tariff, you are probably looking at the cost of driving an electric vehicle has got two times more expensive than it was 24 months ago. However, each mile you drive in your electric vehicle was anywhere between sort of five and eight times cheaper per mile than an internal combustion engine. So even when you double the cost of an electric vehicle, in the vast majority of cases, you are still two, three, four times cheaper on a per mile basis than a typical internal combustion engine. The reason that you sometimes see that in the press told differently is if you take the scenario of you find the most expensive electric vehicle charging point you can in the UK, and then you assume that someone only ever charges at that most expensive charging point in the UK, you can get some maths which says it's more expensive to drive an electric vehicle than an internal combustion engine. But for the vast majority of users, that's just nonsense. Because you're typically, most of your charging is happening you know, either at your home or potentially your workplace, and you're paying the underlying cost of your energy. Maybe that's 28, 30p a kilowatt hour, something like that. Um, and, and hence, you're there at that point where you're you know, two, three, four times cheaper per mile than internal combustion engine. And very occasionally, you use an en-route charging point. If I want to go up to, you know, I'm in, uh, I'm in London today, but if I wanted to go up to Edinburgh, um, I would need to use a rapid charging point around Manchester. But that's a relatively infrequent thing. 90-something percent of my journeys I can do from my house with my car full of energy ready to go or from my office full of energy ready to go. And I'm not relying on that rapid charge network, which is relatively more expensive for each unit of energy. More than 195,000 Podpoint charging points have been installed across the UK since the company was founded in 2009. Around 60% of those are in people's homes, but there's also charging points at more than 8,000 locations across the UK, including at Tesco supermarkets, Lidl and centre parks. Podpoint's backers include EDF, the big French energy group, but Eric Fairburn recognises that the industry has a long way to go. What we have to do is we have as an industry to go down all of the residential streets of London, Bristol, Manchester, Edinburgh and put charging infrastructure in, not occasionally, but down every single parking bay. 
Um, and that will feel a bit more like, you know, perhaps a, how you think of a fiber broadband type rollout. So we'll be, you know, yes, we'll have to dig a trench and then we'll put a charging point in every single location. And we will do that using private capital. Um, but the challenge you've got is then you need to have a sensible return model on that. And at the moment, only one and a half percent of cars on our road are electric. So it's very difficult to invest at that level down street after street after street when your applicable market is just one and a half percent of cars. So what that means We've got to build it up to, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten percent of cars on the road are electric, and then we can go and wire up the entirety of London and Manchester and Bristol on the street. But in the short term, that means unfortunately, the electric vehicle for some people is not yet the correct solution for their lifestyle. So if, you know, like you mentioned, you park on the street, you don't go regularly to somewhere like an office uh, that has some charging infrastructure you might find that an electric vehicle is not the perfect solution for you yet. You need to wait for a bit more infrastructure to get built. So it's just one of the purchase decisions of should I jump in an electric car tomorrow? Um, You probably have to just consider what your charging options are and whether that's compatible with you making that decision or whether, frankly, you need to wait another year until we build a bit more infrastructure for you. While you and the other charging point providers say the number of electric cars isn't there yet to do more charging points, the electric car manufacturers say there isn't enough infrastructure and charging points there yet to fuel the demand they need to step up manufacturing. Both are perfectly logical and rational approaches to businesses, particularly for you as a public company when you have shareholders. How on earth is that impasse resolved? I think the reality is the standard chicken and the egg argument and how do you solve the chicken and the egg problem progressively over time is the answer, right? So we are building out charging infrastructure at a really good rate and the car companies are you know, actually accelerating rapidly on the number of electric vehicles they're putting to market. But we are codependent really the two industries have to progress in parallel and i think you know the car companies pretending that uh, you know it's all about the charging infrastructure is not fair and the charging infrastructure people pretending it's all about the car supply is not fair but somewhere in between those two extremes is the reality but also you know my personal belief is it is private capital which should provide the infrastructure here it's not shouldn't be about the government centrally having to put its uh, hand in its pocket and the treasury and putting charging infrastructure across our country. The government has other things it needs to do and it needs to think about you know, education and healthcare and all the other things our government does. Um, and it's up to private capital to build the charging network. But that has to be proportionate to car rollout. Um, and, you know, if we, you know, same argument has been going for 13 years, really. And the reality is we've got up to the point now where 20% of new vehicle buyers can choose electric. So the charging infrastructure is piling out there at a good odd rate and the car companies are bringing cars to market at a good old rate. Yes, both of us need to go faster, but I think both parties are gearing up to go faster. When Fairburn founded Podpoint in 2009, there were only 55 electric vehicles registered to be on the road in the UK. Fairburn had previously been an engineer at Ford and MSX International before he worked in the innovation team at Britvic, the soft drinks group. He then set up a supercar club in 2005, where members paid around £10,000 a year to borrow cars for the weekend. He sold that business in 2008 and decided he wanted to do something more substantial with his life than let wealthy people borrow fast cars. So I said, great, well, maybe I've got to get involved in the next obvious 
technology that drives our personal transport. And for me, um, the one that uh, sort of appealed and resonated was electric vehicles. And then I spent a little bit of time thinking, well, where as a sort of UK-based entrepreneur can I have some impact? And I felt that it was pretty tough to uh, get into building electric cars, but maybe I could do something else. Maybe I could build the infrastructure which enable other people to to then have electric cars and in time, the mass adoption of electric vehicles. And that was probably the very earliest founding principles of what became PodPoint, uh, my desire to move us on to the next technology and do some good in terms of making travel not damage the earth. So tell me about those early years. Where did the the money come from? How did the expertise get built up? And when did you finally feel like you were making real progress? So I think the answer in terms of your last question, when did we make progress, was a lot, lot, a long way into the future after this. But um, you know, clearly, if you start a business and you are um, effectively trying to sell a charging thing for a thing that doesn't really exist yet, you know, expect to have a pretty tough time. Um, and, and that was very true for the first, I guess, you know, not far off the first decade, probably exaggerating slightly, first seven or eight years of PodPoint, really, you know, really relatively difficult thing to do. I guess what we're trying to do is develop the concepts. Um, and the first thing, you know, we haven't really talked about what the concept is, was this belief set that what we, it was impossible to put energy into electric vehicles as quickly as you put energy into an internal combustion engine car, right? You know, we're very familiar with a petrol station. Uh, we arrived there, 60 seconds later, we've poured 300 miles worth of energy into our car and we're back on the go again. You don't have to do much sort of thinking to get around the idea that you're probably not going to replicate that with electricity. And hence, you've got to build something entirely different. You've got to build this distributed network of charging points everywhere you park. So it's all about plugging in whilst you're busy doing something else. But I guess coming back to your question, which was more about funding, wasn't it? The answer was I've, I've been through just about every funding source that an entrepreneur can go through in order to get pod points where it is today. So, you know, very initially, you know, started, I'd made a tiny bit of money off my previous business. So, you know, poured all that in, did all the things that they tell you you're not allowed to do and maxed out my credit cards and did all the stuff that you're not allowed to do really to, to keep the business alive. And then managed to convince a um, a small but important group of uh, people, angel investors, that they would come and, uh, you know, get involved in this. Those angel investors, because a lot of people will be in in a a similar boat when they're setting up their own business. Who were they? Where did they come from? Was that a connection from your previous business? Yes, in some ways. So my previous business obviously attracted people who were, um, you know, perhaps might be a good fit for angel investment as well. But I don't think there was a great deal of secret really beyond it's just about wearing out the shoe leather and going to talk as many people as possible. And, um, you know, in my case, I had a business concept which, you know, probably didn't stand up to much uh, financial scrutiny. I'm going to sell a charger and there's nothing to plug into it. You know, no, one, that's not the great financial story. Uh, but it was a story that there was a small group of people who believed in. And I think that's in truth what I sold early on in the business was a belief set that this was going to happen and someone had to do this and there was no reason why it wouldn't be us. You're not attracting your typical early stage uh, angel investor with a you know really strong you know, financial model. If you're doing something brand new, you've got to find some people who buy into you, the individual entrepreneur, and buy into the passion and buy into what you're trying to do. And there's no replacement really for you've just got to go and meet a lot of people and see whether you can find and you know a bit of luck on your hands. To, to find someone who, who backs this sort of concept. But there's not much more, more to it than that with angel investors, I think, unfortunately. Now it seems like an inevitability that electric cars were going to grow. And we obviously have targets in various countries around the world. But could you just explain to people what it was like in 2009? Obviously, it's post-financial crisis. So a collection of the big car makers have had big government bailouts and they're financially in not a great position. 
when you were talking to people, did they believe it was inevitable that electric cars would grow? Or was it very much then seen as something that was still a long, long way in the future, if at all? Definitely the latter, a long way in the future, if at all. So I don't think there was any general belief that the internal combustion engine's reign was coming to an end. Even that piece of information was a you know a relatively big leap. And of course, at that time, there was no guarantee, even if you did say, I believe internal combustion engines, you know, their days are numbered, you know, is the answer electric vehicle? You know, the only thing you could refer to that was electric was this sort of, you know, gee whiz, which was a uh, really very, very niche product, you know, did a very tiny number of miles. It was a two-seater thing. It was not even a you know, full car in the traditional sense. Um, so the idea that that was going to be the way that we all drove around in the future was pretty wild. You know, there was lots of discussion on, you know, maybe it's, you know, it, it, those who were looking to the future, is it electric or is it hydrogen? Um, it's not hydrogen, it's electric as it turns out. But, um, but you know, there was no, nothing really to support that. And it just became a belief set, really. For me personally, I felt that that was the most sensible way forward. Um, there was probably a tiny little group of people who sort of shared that view. Um, but no, enormously different to now. And if you look at the industry now, you're almost the other way around isn't it? You're almost struggling to find someone who says, you know, we don't quite know the timing, uh, but it's extremely unlikely we're not going to see the end of the internal combustion engine and the complete adoption of electric vehicles over the next you know, 10 years. Um, so yeah, very, very different. But that's really, I think, what entrepreneurs do. I mean, if, if you're an entrepreneur and you, you know, what, what you're looking for, I think, is a opportunity which will come to you in the future. Because if the opportunity is already there, then you as the entrepreneur don't have anything to bring to that thing. You know, bigger companies get involved as things get to scale and get to the norm. So I think an entrepreneur is really coming up with an idea. And to a certain extent, the definition of whether they succeed or not is really whether the rest of the planet agrees in that that idea is correct within the time that the money doesn't run out. And hence, you know, I, I made a bet very early on. I felt electric vehicles are the right thing. And really, you know, by luck, it turned out within the time that I was about able to sort of keep the business alive and keep the funding in, that market did begin to pick up. But, um, you know, had the electric vehicle market perhaps uh, taken an, another year to get going, maybe that wouldn't have been the success story that it's become today, of course. That's, that's really interesting that you, that you talk about luck and that persistence. Is that very much how you saw it in those early years? It was a case of keeping the business alive as long as possible until electric cars Grew. Yeah, well, and one of the, one of the mantras I, I often say to um, uh, you know other entrepreneurs in terms of what's the approach, you know, you, you by definition, an entrepreneur is an innovator. You can only be an innovator if you come up with concepts early, and then you are waiting for your early stage concept to become accepted by the majority, and hence a market opportunity is presenting. And and what you've got to do is you don't know how long that takes. So the one thing you've got to get good at is, is stretching how long you can keep that opportunity alive such that you give time for you know, the, the thing that you've come up with, this innovative idea, to be accepted by the majority. And if you get that timing right, then sometimes you can end up with something which begins to scale. But you don't have to get that timing very wrong in order for that not, not to work. And you know, the truth of the matter is you, know, you don't know that going in. You've just got to sort of you know, have a belief set. I felt electric vehicles were a very sensible way for us all to drive around. It did solve a whole bunch of problems to do with air quality and uh, decarbonization, uh, moved us away from using fossil fuels, and hence it felt like it was the right thing to happen. But yeah, it was a, a business which was uh, highly sensitive to how quickly that happened 
than you know maybe if I'd started the business two years earlier or it'd taken one more year for electric vehicles to sort of enter into the public consciousness you know maybe maybe Podpoint wouldn't have made it but uh, it was pretty pretty balanced in really in, in terms that that respect. Another interesting part of the Podpoint story is how it has used various different types of funding to grow the business. As well as using angel investors, Podpoint has used crowdfunding, venture capital, and got investment from EDF and legal in general. The business floated on the stock market in 2021. Podpoint had been going for a little bit of time. And just at that time, a, a couple of companies, Crowdcube and Cedars, appeared on the market offering this new concept of crowdfunding. And effectively, what crowdfunding is, is just going out to a lot of people and saying, you know, invest a relatively small amount in this business, but in aggregate, with lots of you, you know, that can be a material amount. And Podpoint became one of the most crowdfunded businesses very early in the existence of, um, of crowdfunding. You know, your, your monzos of this world, you know, the big, big names who've gone on to take crowdfunding to the next level. It was well before then. I think we were the, maybe the third company in the UK ever to manage to get uh, you know, a seven-figure sum through crowdfunding. But what we had was, by then, a very small but significant number of people, a very small number of people who had bought an EV and had spotted that one of the problems with their EV was there wasn't enough charging infrastructure. And at that stage, you had to be uh, forward thinking. And frankly, you had to have a bit of disposable income to decide I wanted to go the EV route. And hence, they actually were a highly passionate bunch of people who said, you know, actually, I want this to work and we need more charging infrastructure. And, and we as Podpoint sort of you know, reached out to the community and said, look, you know, if you have got a little bit of um, you know, spare, spare money and you do want electric vehicles to happen, you could do worse than invest in the company that's building out the infrastructure. What do you think? In reality, that was what made the crowdfunding work. You just happened to have this sort of um, small but just big enough group of people who had got enthusiastic about electric vehicles. And you said, you know, this is not a matter Typically, a crowd investor is not investing a life-changing amount of money, it's, but times it by a few of them, and you can get a little bit of progress. So I guess we've got a little bit of money from the traditional sort of financial people, but I think a lot of it was the um, electric vehicle industry sort of coming with us and saying, look, we like what you're doing there, Podpoint, but yeah, we've really got to do more of it, and we understand you need a little bit of capital to make that happen. Podpoint has had a challenging time on the stock market since floating in 2021. Its share price is down by around two-thirds, there have been concerns about how the delivery of electric cars is being delayed by supply chain disruption and concerns about demand for new vehicles. So when you look back at the history of this company since you set it up and where we are now and some of the challenges facing the, the industry, has it been harder than you expected and has the take up and growth of electric cars been slower than you expected? Um, I don't know what I expected on day one, if I'm really honest there, Graham. If you told me it would be, um, you know, uh, really the first 10 years of Podpoint, and this is a generalistic point, you know, there wasn't really any electric cars. So, you know, would I have started it if I'd known it was going to be, a, you know, a 10-year um, gap before the, the business really got into its stride? Then I don't know if I would have done that. But the reality is that's not how I thought. The way I thought was this is a really exciting opportunity. This is something I'm really passionate about. It's something I want to make happen. And I probably didn't overthink it really. 
has it taken a bit longer than I thought? Yeah, probably. Um, had I thought as deeply about it as I probably should have done at the beginning? No, but if I had, then maybe I would never have done it. So, um, But I think what's important is we are now heavily into our stride here. Yes, we've got a lot of things still to go, um, but the fact that 20% of consumers are choosing a full electric vehicle, I think is wonderful. And of course, we've got to build more infrastructure. We've got to make sure that it's not just 20%, but it's 100% of people are choosing electric vehicles. But we are well on our way now. And it really feels like you know mass adoption of electric vehicles is inevitability. We're just talking about the timing now. What are the lessons you've learned along the way? I think I've learned that um, uh, enthusiasm gets you a long way. That's a very important uh, thing. And uh, it's not something I sort of turn on for um, for effect. You know, I genuinely am enthusiastic about moving the country onto electric vehicles and making travel not damage the earth. And you need, for me personally, it's that mission which allows me to sort of bound out of bed every morning and, and you know, have another go today about moving this thing forward. And of course, you know, uh, speaking to, you know, potential and, and, and current entrepreneurs, you know, what you find is that uh, the experience is not success every single day, right? You have tough days and you have good days and you have bad days building businesses. But you've got to find something which gives you the will to carry on for the long term. And for me, that's always been the mission. Podpoint has um, always been a mission-driven organization, and it's allowed me to build an absolutely wonderful team of people who are here because they think what we're doing is important. And I really hope, you know, if you were to interview anyone in the Podpoint team, Graham, and say, why are you here? Their answer would be, because we think it's important to make travel not damage the earth. And we think, you know, by turning up at Podpoint every day, we are contributing to something bigger than, you know, just business. We're, we're moving society forward. And I think that that's really nice, and it's been an absolute privilege to, to lead the team at Podpoint over the past 13 years on that basis really you've been listening to business studies with me graham ruddick our producer is anushka tate if you want to read or listen to bonus content from this episode then please sign up to our newsletter off to lunch on substack you can sign up at off to lunch.substack.com where you will also find business news and analysis throughout the week <laughs>